You're like at a party and you say to somebody, I'm vegan. And this person may never have heard the word vegan before. They have no idea what it is, but all of a sudden they launch into a diatribe about all the reasons veganism is wrong. They become an expert on your experience as a vegan that you have been living perhaps for years. Carnism conditions non-vegans to feel like they have a better understanding of vegans' internal experience than vegans do. Yo, what's up? Ryuji here, and welcome back to the Animal Advocate Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate you. Now, today, we're going to address some concerns that are felt by vegans all around the world every single day, and I've definitely dealt with all those things. But those things are questions like, why is it that people refuse to face the reality of where their food comes from? Why is it that even after facing reality, people refuse to change? Why do I feel uncomfortable at the thoughts of having to have a conversation about animal rights or veganism? And why is it so hard for me to get through to my friends and family? If you relate to any of these questions, you're going to love today's podcast because we answer those questions in collaboration with Dr. Melanie Joy. Now, if you don't know who she is, Dr. Melanie Joy is an expert when it comes to understanding the psychology of why we eat animals and animal products. She has written books on the topic, such as why we love dogs, eat pigs, and love cows. She has coined the term carnism, and she has been featured in numerous well-renowned publications such as the New York Times, the BBC, and the AAP which that, that last one is the Animal Advocate podcast. But anyways, what she's basically done is she's taken a lot of the topics that I've covered here on the podcast so far. And instead of doing what I did, which is I talked to some people on the streets, I read some books, came to some conclusions. Well, she actually studied this for like two decades. So she's like the legit version of me. And she has really good answers for all the questions that I posed uh, earlier in this intro. And not only does she have answers to why you might be feeling the way that you're feeling or why people react to you the way that they're reacting, she suggests some solutions and she's going to give you right here some practical tips on how to communicate effectively with those around you such that you can live in integrity with your values and clearly communicate that to others so that they stop bothering you and they can even be positively be affected by you. I learned a lot from recording this, so sit back, take it in, and enjoy. The first thing I want to talk about is my experience of being vegan. So when I first became vegan, I thought that the world is normal and I made the choice to become vegan. And in fact, I used to work on film sets. I used to be a filmmaker. I went to film school. And when I first started going on film sets, I wasn't vegan. So every weekend I would just show up, work on the sets, and that was it. But when I became vegan, every time before the sets, I had to let the producers know that, hey, by the way, I'm vegan. So make sure that my meal is vegan. And having the experience of having to say that really made me feel like, okay, there's everyone who's just living their lives. And I guess I just stepped out of uh, being normal and I made this choice to become vegan. And that made me feel like I was the weird one. I was the one who was, you know, the outsider. Uh, but according to your work and research, that's not really the case. But what exactly do you mean by that? Well, I mean, it is and isn't the case. I mean, what, what I said in, um, in my book, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs and Wear Cows, is I, I talk about how eating animals is, is 
nor a normalized behavior. It means it's a social norm. It's a behavior that people engage in for, for many different reasons, which we can talk talk about. Um, but but for one key reason is because people are socialized to do this and to perceive not doing this as meaning they're abnormal in sort of like a negative way. So it's really important. My my earlier book, it was my second book that I wrote, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs and Wear Cows. Um, it focuses on carnism and just for people who don't know, you know, there might be some people listening who have not heard of carnism before. Um, I want to just give the definition and like a really just brief overview yeah. of, of what it is for them. Um, carnism is the invisible belief system that conditions people to eat certain animals. And so it's, this is what my research actually um, helped me to identify. I had been, you know, probably like you, like most people in the world, you know, somebody who regularly ate animals and never eat even thought about the fact that like, you know, I cared about my dog, for example, and I also, you know, I cared about the well-being of other animals for sure, but I was actively participating in like mass exploitation of animals. And so I, um, you know, when I did my research after I had become vegan myself and I had sort of stepped out of this mindset, this mentality that conditioned me to see eating animals as, you know, legitimate you know, the right thing to do is, you know, to just turn off my brain, essentially, when I sat down to eat a meal that had these products in it. Um, what I recognized is that there is, in fact, this belief system that just wasn't named called that I named carnism. It's the, and, and I came to recognize carnism is the, the opposite of veganism essentially. Um, you know, we often think that only vegans and vegetarians follow a belief system when it comes to eating animals. But the only reason that, you know, we learn to eat pigs, but not dogs, for example, is because, you know, we are conditioned to follow a belief system. But most people don't even recognize that when they eat animals, they are following a belief system, and that they are making a choice. It doesn't feel like a choice to them, because they've never been asked to reflect on this choice. You know, this, this belief system is invisible. So carnism is a, um, it's a special kind of belief system. It's dominant. That means it's woven through the very structure of society. It shapes norms, laws, beliefs, behaviors, etc. It's embraced and maintained by all of the major social institutions from the family to the state. We just learned that eating animals is the right thing to do. It's the legitimate thing to do. We don't recognize that carnistic bias is, is everywhere, essentially. So like when a person studies nutrition, they're essentially studying carnistic nutrition, mm. but they don't recognize this. Um, and carnism is also not only is it dominant and invisible, um, but it's also a violent system. It's a system of oppression. And it runs counter to most people's core values of compassion and justice. Like most people would never willingly support an industry that um, is, is basically organized around cruelty and mm -hmm. the extent of violence that carnism is organized around. So in order to ensure that people continue eating animals, carnism needs to use these psychological defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And these defense mechanisms basically distort people's perceptions of meat, eggs, dairy, and the animals they eat so that they can be comfortable enough to consume them. So when somebody sits down to a hamburger, they don't see a dead animal, they see food. And instead of feeling disgusted and horrified, they feel appetized. So um, anyway, so it's really important to recognize that, you know, becoming vegan, like you were describing, you know, you become vegan and it 
you know, probably for you, like many vegans, you know, felt really empowering. Like, mm -hmm. wow, I've kind of like, I've made the connection. I get what's going on. I don't want to be part of that anymore. It feels really good. Like I'm going to be like actively choosing how I live my life on a, on a minute to minute basis mm -hmm. through my food choices and lifestyle choices. And at the same time, as you describe, all of a sudden you're in this situation where you start to feel like people see you as abnormal yeah. and they, you know, and so for so many vegans, and this is why I ended up writing what book came after why we love dogs beyond beliefs was beyond the next book, which was a guide to uh, improving uh, communication and, and relationships for vegans, vegetarians, and meat eaters. You know, I wrote that book because I was hearing a story similar to yours, but perhaps more extreme where like I was meeting thousands of vegans around the world and they were saying to me, like becoming vegan is like one of the most empowering choices I ever made. And that sense of empowerment and inspiration quickly turned to shock and horror when they realized that they were being perceived as outsiders or even worse that their communication and relationships were breaking down all around them. Yeah. One thing that I've been recently interested in is learning about emotionally abusive relationships. And it was a whole set of circumstances that got me interested in this, but I started learning about a lot of things that I previously didn't know about. And one of the most interesting things that I learned is about how when you are apparently in a abusive relationship, you tend to not recognize that. And some forms of manipulation or emotional abuse include uh, basically minimizing you and telling you that you're wrong on everything. Uh, you know, I, I guess one form of that is what people call gaslighting, which I understand is basically you, as, as an example of that is, you know, you might tell someone, hey, I thought you said this, a week ago and they say, no, I never said that. I never said that. And because they're so sure of what they said, you start to believe, oh, I guess they must have not have said that. And instead of coming to the conclusion, oh, they lied, you come to the conclusion, I must be wrong. And over time, this turns into, I'm, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, I can't make decisions, I'm always wrong. And some interesting things that I found about that is that apparently what can happen on top of that is that other people in your life can then enable that and basically when you tell them, I don't know how I feel about this. They say, nah, you're just overthinking it. They're not that bad. It's just you and that kind of thing. And then what happens is that you start to gaslight yourself where you start telling yourself, well, it's not that bad. It's probably me and that kind of thing. And then it goes downhill and downhill and downhill. Now, what was really interesting to me is that when I was learning about all this and, and so much more, it felt like there was a parallel between that and my experience of a vegan in the world. And basically... I started feeling like the whole world basically gaslighted me or, or like a few people made fun of me. It made me feel really bad. And it felt like so much of the world was also enabling that maybe not consciously, but that's really what it felt like. And I was wondering if, you know, are these valid concerns that I'm having? Is this like, am I onto something or, do you think I'm just overthinking this? Well, I actually wrote about this in Beyond Beliefs. Um, and I, I, I described the vegan experience, like how many vegans experience um, are, are 
how how many vegans do experience this kind of you know what you would say is gaslighting um and it is essentially gaslighting but gaslighting is a little bit extreme for for what i would describe in beyond beliefs let me just back up i think yes you are onto something um i think we can take the conversation out of the realm of abusive relationships because i think for some people and probably you know for, for many people they they experience these problematic dynamics that are not necessarily what they would consider abusive relationships or even abusive behaviors, but they're kind of like, uh, you know, sort of like micro abuses, we could say they're disrespectful right. behaviors. So I do write about this in beyond beliefs and I'll share with you some of, 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 you know, what I have shared in that book. Um, I want to just back up and say, I think it's important to think of relationships in general as falling on a spectrum, you know, interactions and relationships as falling on a spectrum. Often it's not that a relationship is healthy or dysfunctional or an interaction is healthy or dysfunctional, but how healthy or how dysfunctional is it? And, you know, when it's mm. extremely dysfunctional, you know, it falls along the, or into the more extreme side of dysfunction, then we would call it abusive. But many people experience problematic behaviors. I would call them non-relational behaviors, right? Non-relational behaviors are behaviors um, that cause, that, that do not reflect respect and gaslighting, or I would say defining reality. You know, it's another way to say, to put it, gaslighting is an extreme form of defining reality is on the spectrum toward the dysfunctional end. So, in my book, I have a, my most recent book is called Getting Relationships Right. And that book is, it's not a book that's written specifically for vegans. It's for anybody who wants to improve their relational literacy. Relational literacy is the understanding of an ability to practice healthy ways of relating. Mm -hmm. And in that book, I talk about um, what I propose is the formula for healthy relating. And this applies to every single kind of relationship we can have. That is an interaction when you're relating to the grocery, the person who's, you know, who you're paying uh, in the grocery store, whether you're relating to your life partner, whether it's a relationship between social groups, whether you're relating to non-human animals, um, whether you're relating to yourself, it's the same. And the formula is a healthy relational interaction or a healthy relationship reflects integrity. That means it reflects the practices of compassion or caring and justice or fairness. So a healthy relational interaction reflects integrity and it honors dignity. That means you're perceiving the other as fundamentally worthy, not as less than in any, any way. And it leads to a sense of connection. Now what happens with vegans, what happens when you, you know, back to your question, um, you know, let's think of this interaction, this kind of interaction on a spectrum. So the less healthy the interaction or the relationship is, the more it violates integrity, harms dignity, and creates a sense of disconnection. Now, these social systems that we're born into that are so problematic, these isms, you know, oppressive systems like carnism, you know, or patriarchy or racism or any of these isms, they share a similar structure. They all create the victims of these systems. You know, the experience of the victims will always be unique. I don't want to compare the experience of the victims. However, the mentality that drives these systems is the same. And this is a non-relational mentality that causes us when we are in a position of power to basically gaslight others. 
um, without realizing what we're doing. I mean, that's one of the things that we do. So we define another way of saying gaslighting because gaslighting is um, often it, it implies intentionality. Sure. We define their reality. We, basically, we make ourselves experts on the other person's internal experience. This happens when you look at a veg, non-veg, or a vegan, non-vegan relationship, whether it's on a collective level or interpersonally. The psychology that drives those relationships is organized to some degree around defining reality. So many non-vegans believe that they know the truth of vegans' experience. And, you know, so you could, for one example, and I give this in my book, um, one example is like, you're, at a, you're like at a party and you say to somebody, I'm vegan, and this person may never have heard the word vegan before. They have no idea what it is, but all of a sudden they launch into a diatribe about all the reasons veganism is wrong. They become an expert on your experience as a vegan that you have been living perhaps for years when they never even knew what veganism was until you opened up your mouth. So that would be an example of what you're talking about. Carnism conditions non-vegans to feel like they have a better understanding of vegans' internal experience than vegans do. Yeah, they condition yeah, non-vegans to define reality. I mean, I just feel like you basically described the way that so many people have related to me and, so, and the ways that I've related to so many people. And the reason why I think this is so helpful to understand this is once we become aware, we can, at least in theory, step out of it. Where I think if we're not aware of this, then we will, even though that's not our intention, have people define our reality. And for me, at least, that's been very disempowering. And I know for people that I talk to also, I found that it's disempowering for them. And then although they have the intention of wanting to talk about it, they want to share this because for them, it was a gift and it was so awesome. But then they might even forget that and start thinking that they're a burden and stuff like that. So once we understand this and we're like, oh, okay. So it's not necessarily just me, not that maybe we shouldn't be a victim to this, but once we have this understanding, how do we step out of it so that? Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, awareness is key. And what I shared was a small percentage of a much broader whole, right? So it's really important for, I think, vegans and non-vegans both, but here we're talking to vegans. It's really important for vegans to understand these dynamics, um, to recognize when they're on the receiving end of carnistic prejudice. Carnism is still largely invisible. Carnistic prejudice is therefore largely invisible. Non-vegans um, communicate with and about vegans in ways that would never be tolerated for them to communicate when it comes, you know, when it came to other members of other types of ideological minority groups, yeah. for example, mm -hmm. right? You would, it would be unacceptable, for instance, to, to tease um, a Christian for not eating meat during Lent or something mm -hmm. based on their religious beliefs mm -hmm. or to tease a Muslim for, for, you know, not eating pork or whatever. It would be unacceptable, but it is still socially acceptable to degrade vegans. Um, there are a number of reasons for that, but one of the key reasons is because carnism is still invisible. We don't recognize carnistic prejudice for what it is. What ends up happening is when you're in a relationship where there's an imbalance of power 
right? So on a, on a collective level or a social level, there's an imbalance of power between non-vegans and vegans. Non-vegans have more power, more social power than vegans do simply because their beliefs are embraced by the majority, right? So what this means is that the non-vegans opinion is always going to be given more weight than the vegans opinion. In fact, when you're a vegan and you're challenging carnistic bias, you know, you're called biased. So, um, you know, among other things. And what this affects our psychology and our psychological dynamics in many ways. And vegans very often end up internalizing the negative messages they get about themselves, which is your needs, for example, your opinion, for example, is less credible, has less value than those of non-vegans. So for instance, you know, when vegans, uh, you know, ask, say during Thanksgiving in the U.S., right? A vegan might ask to have the butter kept out of the mashed potatoes so the vegan can eat it too. And unfortunately, often that request is, um, you know, seen as less important than the need or that need. Mm-hmm. The need of the vegan to be able to eat is seen as less important than the need of the non-vegans to have a quote-unquote traditional meal. Yeah, and at right? that point, I mean, also the plight of the animals is just completely out of the picture. It's so right, far the away plight too. of the animals is completely out of the picture. But what happens is carnism causes us to perceive uh, to perceive needs as demands when they come from the person with less power. In this case, it's a vegan. So right. a request is perceived as a demand rather than a request. Um, and so there are all these different ways that, that perceptions get distorted. So it's very, very important for vegans to become aware of this. Um, and I write about this in Beyond Beliefs, and I, I basically outlay the psychology of carnism and how it affects not only non-vegans, and I would not say carnist, actually, I would say non-vegans, um, and how it affects the psychology of vegans. It's also important to raise awareness in the non-vegans in your life because these are people and they're people who probably actually care about you if they're they're doing this and they don't realize it because carnistic prejudice it's invisible and what many vegans struggle with the non-vegans in their lives who are resistant to you know their requests for change um, because carnism creates this automatic defensiveness against the vegan message one way to get past this is to ask that the people in your life, if you're vegan, to ask that the people in your life not become vegan. So many vegans are like, oh my God, if you were only vegan, it would solve the problem. Um, And it it wouldn't solve a lot of the problem because the problem is not about a difference in ideology. The problem is how people are relating to one another. But ask them to become vegan allies. A vegan ally is a supporter of veganism and vegans, even though they're not fully vegan themselves. So you have a right to say to anybody in your life who is even, you know, with any degree of closeness, you have a right to say, listen, it's really important for me to be able to share information about veganism with you. Not because I'm trying to convert you or change you, but just so you understand me and you understand my inner world and what is most important to me or really important to me. Because if you don't know this, you're going to be doing things that hurt and offend me. And I know you don't want to do that. And, I, and be willing to like learn about things in their life as long as it's not offensive to you. You know, obviously you're not going to witness them as, you know, hunters or something. But when you ask for people to become allies, it, it shifts the dynamic 
you know, considerably. And I would also say, and, and I have in my book, Beyond Beliefs, I actually have a script you can photocopy and give to people or read to people about becoming allies, um, you know, just to make it easier. I would also say that another thing besides awareness raising and asking for allies that vegans can do is to um, build relational literacy, develop, you know, your own communication and relational skills. Once you do this, once you really learn how to communicate effectively and to relate in a way that's that's effective and anybody can build these skills if they want to, um, it, it's a game changer for everything in your life. Yeah. I have um, a book. My newest book is called Getting Relationships Right. And that's what it's about. Like, it's how do you build these relational communication skills? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely... Man, that, that resonates so much with me. And that last point you made about learning communication skills and learning how to relate to people, I mean, that has really transformed my life in every aspect, in my professional career, in my personal life, my intimate relationships, I mean, everything. And I noticed that when I built these skills, relating with non-vegans has become exponentially easier. And totally. I actually know how to navigate these things. Now, how... And I want to encourage everyone to check out Beyond Beliefs because that will explain these things in much more depth. So definitely check that out. But in the meantime, what is an appropriate way to bring this up? Because I hear people saying, I understand that, but it's, it's so nerve wracking to do that. So say that scenario laid out, it's going to be Thanksgiving. You want to have this request. You say, hey, can we, can we just substitute the butter for like plant-based butter? I mean, it's probably, it's going to be the same thing. Mm. And they see it as a demand. They say, oh, not again. Uh, you're being so demanding. This is unreasonable. Is that when you bring that up? I mean, how, like, what's a good scenario in which you bring it up? What do you say to bring it up? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, one thing that I would suggest is that, you know, if you're going into a situation where it's going to be a family dinner or, you know, gathering or something, you find one person, just one person who you think is most likely to be your ally and take them aside, ideally before the dinner happens, right? And share with them your experience. If you, once it's no longer just you, that is also a game changer. As long as you have one ally, you have a unified front with which you can find, you can, you can um, open up a conversation in, in a totally different way. So you find one person and say, listen, I'd love to talk to you about something. You know, every year when we go to Aunt Mary's house, it is so hard for me. Um, you know, people tease me at the table. I feel so alone, you know, have this person really understand and be willing to be on your side and I, I would also say, um, and then you can, together, you can approach, you know, the cook, for instance, or, or the host, whoever it is that's hosting the dinner. I would also always encourage you, if you feel like the host is open, to, to approach them beforehand and say, listen, um, I would really love to talk to you about something. Um, I, I, I'd love to be able to participate in this dinner. How do you feel about, you know, switching up the butter for margarine and the mashed potatoes, you can also offer to, and it's always a good idea to bring your own dishes. Um, it's also something I, as I said, I have these various scripts and beyond beliefs. You can actually photocopy them and, or you can modify them with your own words to tailor them to the situation um, that you're in and then share them with people. If people don't understand how you are, how you're feeling at the table, you know, one thing you can say, and I would not bring this up during a dinner with lots of people, 
people sitting around, but again, one-to-one -one with somebody. Say, listen, it's really hard for me to be at a table with meat on it. And I want to just share with you why and tell you what, you know, I'm not telling you, you know, what to do, but I really need to, you to understand what my experience is. When I sit at the table and there's a turkey on it, for example, I cannot help but see a dead animal. It didn't used to be like this for me, but I just can't help it. And I have flashbacks to all of these videos that I've seen and, and of animals being killed. And it, it's so hard for me. I feel so upset and I can't, I can't help but see this. It's, maybe this is how it would be for you if it was like a dead golden retriever on the table. No matter how hard you tried, you wouldn't be able to unsee that. So you're not telling the person what to do. You're saying, this is what the world looks like through my eyes. And I'd really love it, you know, if you could understand this. And it would be really helpful if we could have the meat in a different room. I want to just quickly say that we are at Beyond Carnism. We're actually offering, um, for the first time, we're putting together a workshop for vegans and non-vegans to come and attend together. Um, where they will be able to, um, basically, I will talk about how to communicate and relate when you have different ideologies. And so vegans don't have to worry about doing it all by themselves and being the one to kind of fix the communication, but they can come together and learn together and develop tools together. Wow, that's beautiful. And I mean, yeah, I feel like that offers so much clarity to people who might be struggling for that. Now, the very last thing I want to know, because I know that people are going to be asking this, is some people, will, and have said to me, and I'm sure have said to you, they say, I wish I could have one person who would support me, but I feel like there is no one. I feel like I'm completely alone. And maybe that's the case where they're maybe younger, they feel like they have no power in the family or whatever the situation may be. And I know people have come to me and they're like, I have no one. No one understands me. No one cares. Everyone hates me. What do they do? Well, I mean, that is a really, really hard situation to be in. And so one thing I would say is just remember that you are not alone. You feel alone, but you're not alone. You are a part of something that's much greater than your individual self. You're a part of a social justice movement that I believe will one day be looked back upon in history as, a, as an invaluable uh, part of social transformation. So one thing is to remember that. The other thing is there are online communities you can join. There are many, many online communities. Find one that resonates with you. And our, our materials, um, you can come to Beyond Carnism's website, uh, carnism.org, and we have materials. My books are written specifically for this purpose. We have videos, um, you know, to really help vegans feel connected, understand, you know, the, the psychology of being vegan and why it can be so hard. And so really develop your understanding and develop connections with people online, even if you don't have them in person. And look in your own community to see if there are any kind of vegan meetups that you, know, uh, that you can join so that you do have some in-person connections. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I feel like this will help people. And I, I feel like you've described so much of my experience and the experience that people have shared with me that in the past, I'm like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to tell you. Um, but you've offered some really clear right. and actionable advice on not just how to think and how to be aware of certain things, but actually how to relate to people. So thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah. Great. Thank awesome. you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Okay, and that was it. I hope you enjoyed and I hope you got some value out of this. Now, if you did, do check out Dr. Melanie Joe's work. It is amazing. It's really helpful. You can watch a bunch of her videos on YouTube. Just type Melanie Joy. You'll find her work. Or otherwise, go on melaniejoy.com 
www.thepodcastmarketingmama.org to connect with her. And if you want to pick up any of her books, you can find them all there as well. Apart from that, if you'd like to support the production of this podcast, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash peace by vegan or otherwise you can just leave a rating or a review that's just so helpful because it gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the podcast and also when i'm reaching out to guests to ask them hey do you want to be on the podcast i can show them hey this is what people think of the podcast this is a legit thing that people listen to and people actually like it and get value out of it so anyways thank you so much for listening i appreciate you i hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and until next time let's keep defending animals